Ain't gonna let nobody do it. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let nobody do it. Turn me round, keep on a walking, Lord. Keep on a talking, Lord. Marching up to freedom, Lord. Ain't gonna let segregation, Lord. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let segregation, Lord. Turn me round and keep on a walking, yeah. Keep on a talking, yeah. Marching up to freedom, yeah. Ain't gonna let no jailhouse load him. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let no jailhouse. Turn me round and keep on a walking, keep on a talking, marching up to freedom, yeah. Ain't gonna let no nervous nilly load him. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round, ain't gonna let no nervous nelly lordy. Turn me round, keep on a walking, yeah, keep on a talking, yeah, marching up to freedom, yeah. Ain't gonna let you fit to the lordy. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round, ain't gonna let you fit to the lordy. Turn me round, keep on a walking, Lord. Keep on a talking, Lord. Marching up to freedom, yeah. Hang on a lead, may I kill it, Lord. Turn me round, turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna lead, may I kill it, Lord. Turn me round, keep on a walking, Lord. Keep on a talking, Lord. Marching up to freedom, yeah. Hey, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series. My spotlight is on a great new book called It's in the Action, Memories of a Nonviolent Warrior. It is the memoir of Reverend C.T. Vivian, crucial to civil rights, voting rights, and called The Greatest Preacher Ever by Dr. Martin Luther King. The author is Steve Pfeiffer, a New York Times bestselling author whose work has appeared in the Chicago Tribune and Slate Magazine as well as the New York Times. We talk about the importance of C.T. Vivian, his silence but strength shown, not only in staring evil in the face, but his behind-the-scenes meek approach to civil rights and how it spoke volumes and why we remember him now. Steve Pfeiffer and I are coming at you right now. Well, thank you. I wanted to, first of all, uh, thank you for being with us today to talk about this great book. And it's very fitting to talk about the action. I mean, the, 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 the title is great. It's in the action of really getting out and being involved. Um, how did you become involved with the memoir for C.T. Vivian? Sure. 
I was working on another book called Jimmy Lee and James. It was about the voting rights effort in Alabama in 1965, Selma and Marion in particular, and Dr. Vivian was very involved in that as well. There's the iconic moment from February of 1965 where he's attempting to uh, register a, a number of African Americans and Sheriff Jim Clark pushes him down the courthouse steps and C.T. brushes himself off and gets up and in nonviolent fashion confronts the sheriff and Andrew Young said because that was captured on film and broadcast to the nation that uh, it was one of the most important moments in getting the Voting Rights Act of 1965 passed. So I wanted to talk to Dr. Vivian about that and the whole effort in Alabama in 1965. So I called him and we, we hit it off during our phone conversations and uh, he called me Doc and here was this hero of mine, you know, referring to me as Doc and saying he wished he'd been a journalist and, and I'm thinking, man, you should you, I'm glad you did what you did, and and we just developed a really nice relationship. And then when I learned that he had never written a memoir, and he was about 90 at the time, I said, we've got to get your story down. So after a little back and forth, we we decided to to just work on this book. Awesome. It's interesting in reading the book, it is a great lesson in civics that I hope that they put in schools because uh, we see the great aftermath of uh, and, and what the success was from all the actions of C.T. Vivian. And I'm glad you also mentioned that Barack Obama also um, recognized him. I was in Selma for the celebration in 2015 at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and I thought oh, it was yeah, really yeah. fitting that um, he was mentioned because King really looked up to C.T. Vivian as a great preacher, and uh, right. he, he really he, did. You know, he stayed in the he, he stayed in the background a lot, Sabrina Marie, and he was not one to to seek the limelight. And in the in the anecdote that you're talking about from from the book, uh, Obama has recognized a bunch of people. Uh, who may be more familiar names to some people in the in the audience, and then he looks back, and they're just amongst the crowd sitting in the back is this elderly gentleman, and he says, that man was called the greatest preacher that ever lived by uh, Martin Luther King, and it's, and it's C.T. Vivian, yeah. And when C.T. passed away, Obama wrote a lovely uh, little piece about how important he had been both to the country and uh, uh, Obama personally. We have lost not only C.T. Vivian, John Lewis, and we also lost Lowry. It's it's just um, losing that kind of time capsule. We see it on tape, and we hear the stories, but we're looking at a lot of the civics being played out even today and what his, his importance and his role was in not wanting to get the limelight and being a preacher that's what he thought of himself as a peacemaker but when you look at him on the tapes because I, I studied up on him and always uh-huh. I'm like wow um, this guy probably doesn't even know what he's doing but the the tape in the videos 
we see today are capturing him talking in the face of the sheriff, in the face of law enforcement, and being calm during the whole time, even though he's being beat down. That right. takes courage. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as, as you said at the beginning, Sabrina Marie, the the title of It's in the Action, and the family sent me a uh, a photocopy of of notes he had to himself before one of his sermons, and it just said, it's in the action, it's in the action, repeat, it's in the action. Because even though he had such a way with words, and uh, he was a collector of African-American literature that dated back all the way to colonial times, Phyllis Wheatley has some of her earliest books, 6,000 volumes, and he, he was a a great lover of the of the written word and and the spoken word, but it was in the action, as you say, he, nonviolent direct action. If you are attacked, you cannot turn away and give up. You have to confront the evil that's in front of you, and he did that in in Selma with uh, Jim Clark, as you say, and and you're right, he he. He would get up and he would speak, and and you know, in in Tennessee during the Nashville student uh, movement, which I think is a very overlooked uh, story in the very civil true. rights movement. Mm-hmm. You've got all these amazing people in one place at one time: Diane Nash and John Lewis and C.T. Vivian and uh, James Bevel, and Marion Barry, and Bernard Lafayette, and and others, and they're learning nonviolent direct action from uh, James Lawson, the kind of master of the, of the technique, who'd learned it in India himself. And uh, there, C.T. was almost played bad cop to Diane Nash's good cop when they confronted uh, the mayor of Nashville on the courthouse steps when they were trying to integrate uh, the lunch counters in uh, in downtown Nashville. The David Halberstam, the late uh, Pulitzer Prize uh, winning author who was a reporter in Tennessee at the time, described CT as as uh, being the one person in that group that really had a hair trigger temper, uh, but he managed to rein it in when you know when he had to confront the the evil that uh, they all were facing during those time periods. You're talking about um, integrating lunch counters and um, the the actions that kind of spread throughout the South. But you're mentioning Memphis, very, very important. Um, Marion Barry was one of my mentors, and uh, so was John Lewis. And when you look at uh, how they were able to persevere through bombings, <laughs> through 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 uh, situations with uh, people threw acid on them, you know, yes. they, they 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 tried to trap. Uh, CT wasn't in that in this particular. Restaurant, but they tried to trap them, you know, in by throwing acid on these folks and not letting them get out. It's just terrible. Yes, and these are things that I'm, I'm glad that are mentioned in the book. We don't hear about the acid. We hear about the confrontations. We see the dogs. We see uh, Selma, 
And one little thing that you, you mentioned, you mentioned that uh, people were in Selma, but they forget they were marching across the bridge from Selma to get to Montgomery. <laughs> right. That was the right. whole thing. They were trying to deal with voting rights. And when you talk about voting rights, um, my uh, one of my attorneys when I was at Howard University, uh, Joseph Cooney, was studying for the uh, ministry. He was in the second Selma march. Mm-hmm. And he still practices law. But uh, he was saying that in that second march, after the beatings and crazy things that were going on, um, they still remain nonviolent. He was called down by Dr. King. Right. Um, today we see people in the street with the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, we see some of that, uh, but not, of course, the extreme violence. We do see the violence in a different way. Um, I don't know how CT Vivian felt, but we saw John Lewis stand in support of the protesters. Um, oh, I, I, he he was definitely supportive of of that uh, of that movement. I, I he would not have supported, uh, nor John Lewis support the the rare elements uh, in some of the protests that you know went off and and did uh, illegal things. But uh, CT felt very strongly that a kind of a unified message and uh, and a, a kind of a unified leadership was very important to achieving success in in the uh in any movement but in particular in the in the civil rights movement and i guess the one thing he might have lamented about uh the current the current black lives matter uh, movement and other efforts is the absence of a greater role by the church in, right. uh, in getting involved here. Now there are, you've got Reverend Warnock down in, in, in Georgia now and you've got, uh, Reverend Barber in, in North Carolina who, you know, are playing major roles, but the, the, the kind of institutional church uh, that played such an important role in the in the 60s. There's an absence of that, and I don't know if it can be recreated today. To tell you the truth, but he lamented that. You're mentioning the church. Um, there are groups like Cord, SNCC, and others that um, were able to come together to work together. And just as uh, in an, especially the last three years, many groups got together with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in C.T. Vivian's case, though, he was a minister, and he, 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 he was um, uh, really uh, questioning, you know, can you be a segregationist and a Christian? And it's interesting when he talks to not only the police, <laughs> he mentions <Right>. that. <laughs> and, and you see him never stop. That's interesting. Uh, right. he, that's where like he confronted. Uh-huh. That's where he mm-hmm. confronted uh, the mayor of, mm-hmm. of Nashville, Sabrina Marie, where he said, "Are you a Christian?" And and he didn't get the answer at first, and he kept at him, you know, asking, "Are you a Christian?" And the same thing of of Jim Clark, of course, you know, and he didn't think you could be if you were if you were doing that. 
youngsters, um, not only college age, but younger, were involved in the movement. And it's interesting uh, to see just how young some of those people would be. Some of them would be just children, and they'd had dogs flicked on them. But we're talking about racism, and even we're talking about that now, that um, really instigated people to, to really break out of the mold and do things that are different. When you talk about um, being on the road, as Reverend King and C.T. Vivian and Lowry and, and many others, I mean, he gives thanks to his wife and really realizes that the woman's role is almost that of a single parent at that time. That's something that's really not talked about. They really right. I, I really wanted to emphasize time. that in the book. I'm sorry for talking over you. I, I really wanted to emphasize that uh, in the book, and you, you make a really good a really good point there. I think it's a really um, underappreciated element of the movement because these these guys who had families uh, and uh, and number of children ct had six six kids living with his wife octavia when and and you know here come the freedom rides and it's like do mm-hmm. i you know we know that that something's going to happen on these freedom rides right we know right. the mm-hmm. first wave of people have already been beaten you know you're here with the kids should i go and and she was amazing every time whether it was should i go to seminary should i go on the freedom ride, should I go to Selma? It was always like I will, I will watch the home front, and you, you go off. And in in some ways, there, Sabrina Marie, there, there are kind of parallels where, you know, certain uh, wives with with kind of professional backgrounds now, even now, stay home in in certain circumstances, you know, and the husband goes goes off to work it certainly it it works both ways but octavia his wife herself when they met she had as much if not more experience in the civil rights sphere when they Mm -hmm. met in the 50s as he did she'd been participating in protests and sit-ins and integrating uh restaurants up in uh pontiac michigan at the same time that he was down in peoria trying to do the do the same thing, but you know, she just she was the one that ended up staying at home once he got more active and making it possible for him to go out and not saying no, you stay home, you've got a family, I can't afford to have you go out and get beaten. Speaking of beatings, uh, my attorney Joseph, he was saying that. Uh, it was because of a James Reeb's beating that he was called to the second march. And we're sitting right now in time in March where all three of those marches occurred. Bloody Sunday, the peaceful second march to the Edmund Pettus, and then the final one. And right. I believe the marches finally got to Montgomery on the 25th of March. Correct. So we're right in the middle of that. But when we, when we look at a C.T. Vivian, when we look at the uh, protesters, they were willing to go through beatings. They were willing to be arrested. They were willing to do whatever it, it took in a nonviolent way to get the message across. And when I read in the book that um, the different buses would take them to certain points, 
and it was almost like an invitation for uh, the protesters who weren't from the South and didn't know the Jim Crow laws to violate those laws, or they were waiting, the the uh, authorities were waiting for that so they could arrest and add more charges onto uh, the protesters and the, the people who were on the buses that were fighting for integration. Today, we don't have it as much, but within the last few days, we've had a good 20 or so states <laughs> reinstitute what looks like very much like Jim Crow laws in voting. Right. And I, I want to ask you, as an author, did you ever think you'd see <laughs> this happen again in your life? No. No, and but when we were working on the book, it wasn't too long after the Shelby versus Holder decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that had gutted the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that C.T. and John Lewis and so many, uh, John Lewis called it a dagger through the heart. Uh, that Supreme Court decision and C.T. was, you know, demonstrably. Uh, disturbed by it, uh, so you know I don't I don't think they expected that to happen. And certainly, what's what's going on now, while it 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 wasn't foreseeable, it's kind of you know why didn't we? Why didn't you know with 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 the whole history of this country, and uh, even though the strides that have been made. Why didn't we think that the that the white establishment was going to try and hold on to power as long as it could in any way it could, even if it meant going back to you know kind of Jim Crow attitudes about about voting? So maybe it, maybe maybe we were asleep and not in not recognizing this, but I certainly didn't think it would become as kind of you know done by legislative bodies in in states that are not not even, not only south of the Mason Dixon line are you telling uh, Iowa yes no, please yes. you know it's 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 just a, a real shock and it it just cries out for you know congressional action to uh, US congressional action to you know to blunt all of these attempts, and my hat is, I'm a, a non-practicing attorney, my hat is off to all the attorneys in all the different uh, civil rights groups and, and other agencies who have fought all of these laws at the local, at the local level and have, have been able to uh, be successful in, in, in fighting some, in some of them, many of them. But it's like, you know, a fire that's spreading across uh, a prairie, and, and how can you put out all these little fires at the same time? It's, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And we need um, the prophets uh, to not stop serving as we um, move forward and fight. And, you know, I, I remember John Lewis standing in Black Lives Matter Plaza and, you know, looking defiant, you know, just like, hey, I'm, I'm here 
It's one of right, the last right. public of, uh, pictures you see of him. But you're talking about a preacher's preacher, uh, 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 somebody not wanting the attention. But, of course, he's there. And you can't help but be drawn to see what it is he's doing. Because it's not so much what he's doing, it's what the people he's speaking to are doing. They look so wrong. <laughs> they look right. terribly out of place. And I think, uh, you know, when I read about his, his childhood growing up being bullied and whatnot, he knew how to deal with the bullies. But get, let's get back to the, the beatings and, and other things these people went through. Um, you know, people died for the right to vote. And when you look at what's going on today with um, them restricting, it's not just going to restrict black and brown voters. It's going to restrict elderly voters, the biggest block of voters that do vote, whether they're black or white. It's For sure. People who are veterans and people who are disabled. It's going to hurt a lot of people who today are more so inclusive in everyday life. They're working, they're out and being vibrant in the communities. So when you see the voters' rights, they think that they're hurting one group of people. They're hurting the disenfranchised rural people and, and, and people who, it, it takes them a while to get into town to do any, any voting. It, it hurts people across the board. Do you it's think desperate, they, isn't it? It's just yeah. so desperate. But I don't think they're looking at that. No, I, don't I agree. I don't think that they're looking at that, um, the biggest block of voters right now. But we do have new people coming up in the Gen Z millennial who are going to be able to vote in 2022 and 2024. You mentioned that you don't think that there'll be another movement, but there will be a movement of people. There are already people who are pretty fired up right now. Where do you see us taking C.T. Vivian John Lewis, Lowry, and all the people that are still alive. You know, you've got Jesse Jackson, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Young. You've got so many people who are still around. Where do you see us going forward with all the hard work the foot soldiers have done to get us to this point and get beyond where we are today? Uh I wish I had all the answers, of course, but but let me go back to something you said early, Sabrina Marie, about uh, this should be a civics lesson in some way. That's right. Uh-huh. I I first off believe that it's important for young young people, no matter what color they are or what their ethnicity or background is, to know the story of the voting rights movement and how how much blood was shed how how i mean people you know young a lot of young people don't don't realize how hard it was to win the right to win the right to vote and how much blood was shed and i think it's it's an important story for for young people to know about that and to see how the movement was organized so that they can take lessons away from that and and move forward. Now, the big difference between what was going on, oh, there are a lot of differences, but one of the big differences between what was going on in Alabama in the 60s and what's going on now, of course, 
is the use of social media and uh, the ability to organize via social media uh, as opposed to through through the churches or other organizations. And so what what that does in one way is make the movement more disparate for lack of a better word. There's there's no it there's no head to the, to this body at times. Like if you said who's the leader of what's going on right now, they're really you can't really say, but if you did, if you did a family tree kind of thing of back in the in the 60s and you had Martin Luther King at the top and you had you know the family tree with CT and John Lewis you know all these people who are lieutenants or other people in it 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 was it was easier so there's 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 it's it's a plus and a minus i think for gen z as you put it and the and millennials and others to be spread out and not organized under one umbrella but but at the same time being able to be nimble and respond quickly to these abuses and one of the one of the parallels i i i draw between what happened in the 60s and and what's going on now is that there was a very and i don't think a lot of people necessarily understand this uh there was a very intentional effort to have events take place that might be captured on film in the south and broadcast to the north where people would then apply pressure to their legislative representatives to effect change like the Civil Rights Act of 64 or the Voting Rights Act of 65. So no one wanted dogs to hurt kids in Birmingham. But those images, and they were inevitable, made a huge difference. And that's that. the reason CT's confrontation with Jim Clark was so uh, transformative was because it was captured on film and broadcast on the network. It's it's in the it's in some ways the George Floyd moment of 1965. If George Floyd's uh, murder hadn't been captured on video like that, then you know we might have a, a different story that that we're telling right now. So uh, the use. The use of, of of social media to good is going to be a really important factor in in moving forward and keeping out all the all the rumors and and uh, uh, conspiracy theories and so forth. That's a that's a real roadblock to progress. You mentioned something interesting: the George Floyd uh, imagery. And also the imagery of a lot of other things that have, have gone on uh, even before George Floyd that have been caught on tape, you know, before and since. And um, I remember John Lewis, they asked him how he felt, and he said he cried. Um, uh, one of his last interviews. 
Um, when you read through C.T. Vivian's book, you know, he, he really truly um, put his life on the line, loved people. He was willing to um, do what he did. Uh, he considered it his calling. You mentioned the churches and also the movement not having a core, a, you know, certain people, certain leaders. But when King was uh, assassinated, you had despair. Um, maybe today we do need a little bit more organization, but when something like that happens, it can almost kill a movement when you have just, you know, one or two or three people. Right. Well, that's a, that's a really good point. That's, that's true. Uh, I, I think that the fact that, that we do have a, a, a widespread grassroots, much more, uh, diverse, uh, body of people now involved is definitely a plus. But, I mean, imagine, you know, I mean, John Lewis justifiably is, you know, I mean, you hear John Meacham once, once him nominated for sainthood, and I, I wouldn't argue with that at all, you know, mm-hmm. but, but he, he right now is the rallying cry for everything that's going on, or for a lot of stuff that's going on, particularly with the voting rights, as, as well he should be. And you just think, like, if he were still with us, or if CT were at his side with him, what what inspiration could be derived from from their own histories and their own powerful words that could be even uh, more transformative than. Uh, than what than what's going on in a in a kind of leaderless fashion, right. right? And that's why I was interested in this interview in the action. These people took action. They weren't just words. They weren't. They didn't just go to a church and you know <laughs> sing kumbaya and hey, we need to do this. They were out there. They were out there. Let me tell you something really quick. I sure. um, grew up in Washington D.C. And one thing that I uh, realized in growing around the metro area, I've always drawn to people who are doers. From the day I was able to meet Marion Barry to the day he passed, he was in the community. He was an action person. And to hear you mention his name uh, with the the people in Memphis and whatnot, um, you got to see... Uh, leadership in action. Fast forward to 2007, our family's opening an art gallery. And who do I see come to the opening? Somebody who really cared about the community who didn't even have to be there, John Lewis. Wow. <laughs> he, wow. He's there. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, you don't, you're expecting people who are, you know, millennials and who are into art and whatnot. And all of a sudden there's John Lewis chilling out and talking to everybody oh in the crowd, like yeah. he's not just one of the crowd. Um, these people were about the people, about the business, about serving. Many times, some leaders today are about the attention that they can get. 
I learned a lot from this book, and I think a lot of people can learn a lot from this book. It's in the action, and it's not necessarily doing it when the cameras are on. That was a bonus. That was a that was major. But CT wasn't doing it for the camera. Oh he no! He looked like no. he was for real. It just looked like he just happened to find him up there challenging authority, and right. um, and King and any of the rest of them. It looked like they really, you know, it's like we're down for this. We are going to be here until we get the mission accomplished. And well, this was God's that, work. Yeah. This was God's yeah. work for them, right? Uh-huh. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is the gospel in the streets, and not you know waiting until you get to heaven. It's it's going out there now and and doing the Lord's the Lord's work, acting. On, be, on behalf of of the of the Lord, and I mean, so many of them had that you know American Baptist Theological Seminary training and and uh, other other uh, religious religious training. But you've nailed it. I mean, it's just you can't sit back. You can't you know watch cable news all day and wring your hands and, and complain about things if you're not going to go out and do something about it. Amen. You have right here in the uh, beginning, do to us what you will, and we will still love you. And uh, I, I think that that is very fitting for right. this this book very, very much. The book is called It's in the Action. We're talking about uh, the life of C.T. Vivian, Steve Pfeiffer, and the four done by Andrew Young. And um, the book will be out when? Uh, well, it's available now through uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and a variety of other outlets. Uh, the official publication date is March 16th, and hopefully it will be in bookstores near all of your listeners uh, by then. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us and speaking about this great book. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, I would... I would just say that we are really trying to make an effort to get this book in the hands of young people. Towards that end, we've donated copies to all the graduating high school seniors in Marion, Alabama. There are Amen. copies that are, be, are going to uh, all the students at the American Baptist College. Uh, we're undertaking efforts in various other cities to get the book in the hands of young people, just like there was an effort to get young people to see the movie Selma back a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, tickets were being given away so young young people could see that movie and, and learn about what happened back then. So uh, I would hope that if any of your listeners like the book or feel it's important, that maybe they give it or get another copy or direct uh, people so that young people can get this get this book and learn this very important piece of history and as you've wisely said today, uh, kind of a manifesto for thinking about how we should be moving forward. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the book, and I'm sure that uh, our future soldiers in the street will uh, really learn from this book.
Thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless. Same.